in rainbows. Being John Malkovich. This is Off the List. Off the List is our podcast because everyone has that nebulous list of media art that they just really wish to consume but never get around to it and so this is two friends holding each other accountable so that we actually cross things off that list and because i'm a huge music nerd i'm supplying the music and because nadira is a huge movie nerd she's supplying the movies that's me i don't know if i would say huge i mean yes yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, here's the thing: is you can't like rip our credit like right from the start. I'm just I, trying to be real with the people. This episode, we started off on our inaugural episode. I figured that the best, most memeable, most iconic thing that I could make Nadira listen to that she hadn't listened to yet was "In Rainbows" by Radiohead. So, Nadira, what did you know about this album going into it? Okay. So my experience with Radiohead is, you know that Avril Lavigne song? <laughs> wait, 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 no, I, well, wait, which one? Like, like the, I forget the what Avril No, 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 no. There's this Avril Lavigne song that came out when I was in like 10th grade. So this is not peak, this is oh, past okay. peak Avril, okay, so this is like but was iconic. still played on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I distinctly remember I was in math class and someone was mentioning that song. And they were like, you know, the lyrics to the chorus are like me and my friends like scream Radiohead at the top of our lungs or something. But has Avril Lavigne ever listened to Radiohead? Radio, Radiohead? You're screaming Radiohead? <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, well, I should go home and look this band up. Okay. <laughs> and then that's when I found out that they were the ones who sing Creep. Mm. And you can totally sing creep. I don't know what this person is saying. There's many Radiohead songs that you can totally scream. Yeah, if you're mentally ill, which we are. But, <laughs> <laughs> no. but she was kind of on to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, and so I think since then, I, I think after that, I heard Everything in Its Right Place mm. in like some movie or something. And I was like, oh, that's pretty lit. But I think my general consensus of Radiohead was I wasn't sure if I actually liked it, their music, mm-hmm. or if I liked the fact that I had never heard anything like that before. Ooh, okay. And I felt like I could never really decide where I was on. Mm -hmm. But this album, a banger. That's my... we're starting off strong. Yes, yes, that is my... The banger approval. The only thing I had heard of it before was... I had heard Weird Fishes before, but only a few times. Yeah. And the reason I know that is because I heard Leanne Hoffice's cover Weird Fishes and was like, this song sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Which Leanne's cover is a certified so hood good. banger. It's it so is good. incredible. It's so good. Um, so I wrote down my general thesis of the album and I said that it's sad. Okay. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very much, it's giving I'm sad, but my friends brought me to this house party. So I guess I can two step. Or do the white man's jig for 15 minutes for free beer before I find some excuse to leave early and go home and cry in the shower. That oh is what it's giving. Oh my god. 
It's the best description of in rainbows I've ever heard. And what's so funny is I wrote that like two songs in and then I got to the song that's actually about a house party and fucking cackled for oh, three minutes my straight. Gosh. <laughs> that's a that's a really, really good description. Um I to me, yes. In Rainbows is and the reason I wanted you to listen to it is because it is their most accessible album by far. It is easily the album that you listen to and you're immediately like, these songs are just great. They are the great songwriting songs. is just pure. And Tom York does not sound in his kind of like weird, pitchy yes. nonsense that occasionally of, he gets into. One of my notes was I think that so far from everything that I have heard of Radiohead, which at this point is a handful of songs, but is a handful, is more than just two now before I listened to this album, was that this was the best I had ever heard Tom York sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of that, was the writing a part of that was a mix but a part of it was just like them like him on nude is that 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 nude is maybe one of the most beautiful songs i've ever heard the note i wrote underneath that was headphones in all caps (laughs) it's so good and it was also interesting because of your context of weird fishes mainly coming from leanne hearing that song picked up to where like the original of the of that song i think that Tom York sounds great, but I also think that the lyrics here in this album, which I had to look up because there's something about indie white men where they just like to fucking mumble. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, to, genius was really out here saving. I mean, to make you feel better, I have never once understood a Tom York lyric. Great, because... <laughs> he. I, I literally think that he I don't even think Tom York mic. understands <laughs> Tom York lyrics. I bet you that he looks up genius after he's like, that seems right. <laughs> um, but So I did look up the lyrics. I had to look up and listen at the same time. Um, and I thought the, the lyrics were... Probably the most relatable I've heard of mm-hmm. any Radiohead song, which is very much like the whole album is very much a sad boy anthem. Oh, yeah. Um, but I really, really loved, I think what Radiohead is so good at is just ambiguity. And so I really mm-hmm. loved songs like Nude, where they were very much about a relationship very in like very specific ways, but also could be about anything. Whereas mm-hmm. the songs that, I mean, they're all good, but if I had to choose songs that like I didn't really vibe with that much, probably House of Cards. I knew you were gonna say House of Cards. I knew it. That's- and also the other, All yeah. I Need. I think the two that were yeah, very yeah, much yeah. like this is about a relationship and kind of only about a relationship. You know what they're I mean? Also extremely the most dour songs. Yeah. On the on the entire yeah. album, I find that I mean House of Cards especially comes at a point where it's such a middling tempo and it's that point in the album i think you really really have to love where you had to really love that particular song yeah otherwise the album has really good pace despite it being a radio album because most radiohead albums just you can fall asleep to despite how great they are i don't know i guess it's a part of their charm i guess one (laughs) one would propose (laughs) but i do yeah no i totally vibe with what you're saying because i was listening to that song and i was like i get it i don't enjoy it that much it's a good song Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna go out here and say it's a meh song it's a good song there's not a bad song exactly there's not a bad song on there Mm -hmm. but i was just like it's not hitting the way the rest were hitting you need to be surrounded underneath those uk clouds for three years straight for the, that song to really hit you the way it's yeah. supposed to hit you. Yeah. To just have that seasonal depression yeah. just imbued in your DNA. Listen, that is what listen. you need to really make House of Cards hit hard. <clears throat> so what you're saying is I should have listened to this when I was in Leeds in the fucking winter because... Exactly. Well, either either that or you should have avoided it at all costs. Mm. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I do. Okay. So I, I did, I, I chose favorites and least favorite songs and that was my mm-hmm. least favorite. I do have to say though, it had one of my favorite lines mm-hmm. of the whole album, which is your ears should be burning because I love Ooh. when artists like use idioms and like old wives tales and stuff. And you know, the, the whole idea that like your ears are burning if someone's talking about you and you spent the whole song mm-hmm. pining. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I was like, okay, that's a good, that's a good lyric. So I just wanted to, you know, I mean, I was glad that everything on the album, it, the very least you enjoyed or you got. And I think yeah. that if I had started you off with an album like a kid, a, or like a okay computer, there's the potential that some of those songs would not have aged as well or come across as immediately. But I think the power also of In Rainbows is that it's an extremely human album. When I feel like Radiohead often has this connotation or idea behind them that they are an inhuman band or that it's right. legendary Right, like otherworldly. Yeah. yeah. But when you listen to In Radioheads, it's so basal. It's so down to the roots of Tom York just pining over love and pining over yeah which I think (laughs) and I do love a good pining song but I feel like the the ones that are more ambiguous that could apply to more situations just appeal to me more but one thing that I did write down that I really really loved about it was that it's very outwardly introspective Mm. and I find that that's always some of my favorite art because I always have these feelings of well not always but I tend to have these feelings of like very weird sort of like displacement or separation you know like feelings where i'm sort of weirdly aware that i'm in a body you Mm -hmm. know and like sort of like feeling outside of my body but knowing i'm in a in a body and that i have connections with other humans Mm -hmm. and like i've learned to communicate and i've like learned to develop opinions and i feel like this album acknowledges that dissociation and that displacement but also synthesizes it back together Mm -hmm. and i felt like that was very like oh this feels like some sort of human experience that I can definitely vibe with. The song Videotape. I was hoping we would talk about Videotape. Ruined my life. First of all, the lyric out of control on Videotape or video or whatever. Mm-hmm. Wow. Never has yeah. a lyric dated itself as much, but also never has it felt more apropos. Ooh, you know what yeah. I mean? And also, I find that that the album hits you with videotape in such a specific way because you have House of Cards and then you have Jigsaws Falling Into Place. And Jigsaws Falling Into Place is an incredible song. It It has so much pacing to it. It has so much momentum to it. Yes. And all that momentum leads you off into a cliff where you dive into the water and then you just sink with videotape. It is... The part... So when he starts talking about, I mean, what some could presume is suicide. Mm. Um, Trigger warning. Uh, And then there's him taking breaths in the production really oh yeah really sent me somewhere oh yeah over a cliff because i was yeah. just like i <laughs> th- the breaths and then the the notion that what he's talking about is death and potentially taking his last one and it's just like all of that i was just like and on videotape like so early 2000s but also weren't we all sad in the early 2 i mean aren't yeah. we all sad all the time but weren't we all sad in the early 2000s you know just very this is a fun music fact for you that you definitely do not know is you know how that album starts with those piano chords just like on what you think is one, two, three, mm-hmm. four. That's the end of every beat. They play oh. that song. So it's 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got you. And so they're syncopating the entire song. And that's what gives it, when the beat comes in, that jaunt. It gives it that kickback. Because they're, because the piano is actually playing on the upbeats of every single beat. That's lit. And there are here. concerts of them trying to play it live and the audience like clapping on the piano and them absolutely losing their minds because they just can't play it. Because imagine if the entire audience was clapping on the upbeats. Have you seen... Okay, I mean, because you know... <laughs> you know when people are doing the white man's jig and uh they tend to clap on the <laughs> they hit they hit that one they hit three. the one in the when tom york heard the audience clapping on two and four he went into his mic and he said temporary loss of information and then it just stopped the song and restarted it so that tells you what kind of man Tom York is. Versus... There was no reason to be so petty about it. <laughs> he yelled at all of his fans who paid good money to see that white man on stage <laughs> muffle into a microphone. And he just called him out. When the song oh, does not even sound like it's syncopated at all. One thing that I forgot to say is I really appreciated the use of of the backing vocal here. Mm. Rarely. Can you think of a track, like which track specifically? Or just all of them in general? All of them. And I know that I already said it's my least favorite, but I'm going to bring up House of Cards again for this moment alone, because I've already said it's got one of my favorite lines of the whole album, but that line is sung by the backing vocals, which I'm assuming are also Tom. I don't know if it's actually other members of the band, but it sounded like Tom. Tom is usually the only one who sings. Sings, Yeah, yeah, it sounded like Tom to me. All the other rest of the bands, I don't think have ever spoken a word in the public. They just show up, they do (laughs) Do their job. They do their job and then (laughs) they they disappear. Clocked in, clocked out. (laughs) Um, Rarely, as someone who is an alto, (laughs) rarely are backing vocals, whether they are you layered over yourself or what have you, um, rarely are they able to do so much heavy lifting to take some of the better lines. It's like actually using the backing vocals as another vocal instead of considering them backing vocals. You know what I mean? Like no, actually considering that. them another instrument or another layer of the song. But even the title where they say in rainbows, I missed it mm. the first time because that's also sung by the backing vocals, which is like lit, man. Shout out, shout out to all my, shout out to all my altos out there. Okay. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. The sopranos can't hear shit. Okay. You got to Just hold down that harmony, babes. It gets better. I promise. <laughs> I think that, for this album to stand the test of time as it has, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. it's because of the quality that you recognize that anyone could make this album. And sometimes when we listen to a seminal artist mm-hmm. make a kid A, mm-hmm. we can't imagine anyone else making this project. We can't any imagine anyone else thinking, I'm just go up to a mic, robot my voice, and be like, Fitter. Happier, stronger, and it's going to pop off. Right. But there's something about this album, regardless of the fact that Tom York's voice is so distinctive, Mm -hmm. that anyone who had any arranging ability and any feeling of wishing to escape their body could conceivably make this album because all the songs are so rudimentary and simple and just what they are yeah but then when you break down the perfection of how they've kind of reduced down themselves to bare bones to really make the purest songs of themselves Mm -hmm. and 
that is why I wanted you to listen to it. I was saying she needs to hear Radiohead away from the bells and the whistles to actually appreciate why they are the band that they are. Out of control on videotape, man. If that's not the story of my life, <laughs> what is? <laughs> we should move on to a movie that I actually feel is very fitting with the album. <laughs> Which is the being John Malkovich. <laughs> I'm going to be straight up with you. I had never heard of this movie, actually. Wow. I, I do not know how. There were it, it, What's weird is when I was watching it, there were scenes from it that I had said, I've seen that scene screen capped in probably on a tweet somewhere. But I had never actually seen this movie before. And Jesus Christ, did it throw me for a loop. (laughs) (laughs) So the basic premise of being John Malkovich is you've got this poor little puppeteer who lives a sad, broken artist life. And he gets a job working for his fast hands in a whimsically small floor that has a magical portal that once you enter it, you are allowed in John Malkovich's head for 15 minutes. Yeah. Like, oh my, okay, the first thing I want to say, this is a comedy, and that completely threw me off guard. How often I was just laughing at the characters and just the absolute absurdity of what they were doing in this movie was, the movie is bonkers. (laughs) I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie so much for many reasons. The main one being that it is so in between all of the things we understand movies to be. It is not farce. It is not completely serious. It is not parody. It is not complete reality. It is not drama. It is not necessarily comedy, but it is all of those things. Mm -hmm. And... Everyone, it's also just one of those movies, and I'm a sucker for them, with an ensemble cast where everyone just pulls their weight. Everyone came to work, did what they had to do, <laughs> and then clocked out. And John Malkovich, John I mean, Malkovich was amazing in it. John I will Malkovich say that. and John Cusack. I mean, okay, so I could speak for years about how much I love John Cusack, <laughs> but John Malkovich is also. The scene where he goes into his own portal. Okay, the the Malkovich scene is easily. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this straight up. Easily one of the weirdest things I've ever watched in my life, I, and one of the most unexpected. I normally I when I watch movies because I am a piece of shit. I have a running thing going on in my head of what I think is going to happen next, and I'm playing a game with myself. I'm saying, can I guess right? And I think because I'm a piece of shit, I usually think I'm right. I usually am like, oh, I'm gonna get this right. When he went into his portal and it was just a million Malkoviches only being able to save Malkovich and him doing everything, I completely felt like an idiot. And I was I was blown away at how much this movie continually managed to surprise me with where the plot went and just keep me on my toes. And one other thing I want to add to yeah. what you said, because I really like the way you said that this movie is essentially just so radically in the middle yes. of everything. Which is chaos. It is chaos. And tacking on that, as a first-time watcher, it is disorienting. This movie is disorienting to watch the first time because you have no idea what it's supposed to be or what it's trying to be. Because we're so used to a category that 
as you're watching it, your brain is trying to fit it in, but there's always one part of the movie. You know, I, I would laugh at the Malkovich scene and then he would come out and say, oh, I'm going to sue you for being in my brain. And you'd immediately say, this has to be a comedy. And then the character jumps over the couch <laughs> in this weird like terror the way he jumped over that table but also was holding his wife at gunpoint yeah truly laughing scared at the same time it is that that scene was almost what you would call like hyper realistic form of what a beta would (laughs) do if he was trying to take advantage of someone and it it became so real at that moment that i was like oh this movie is no longer a comedy this movie is hyper serious and kind of fucked up and really weird. Yeah. And it just kept oscillating between those things. I mean, it's so, and then as it's like a, a, it's like a wave, a sound wave that oscillates faster and faster and faster and faster until by the end of the video, you can't even hear it. It's just like one high pitch pitch noise. That is just, that is hurting your head. Yeah. I will admit that I don't know if I fully liked it. Yes. That's fair. In the sense that I really appreciated what it was doing. But in terms of what I was talking about with that oscillating impact and how it just reached like a fever pitch where it kind of hurt my head, Mm -hmm. that thing made me almost distaste it by the end because it it seemed, I, I really respected its ambition, but at the same time felt like there were some points where its ambition was so strong and it tried to go between the two points so quickly that neither, which by the way, Quick, quick side note, mm-hmm. puppeteering, mm-hmm. Th- not the art form, but mm-hmm. I, you know, the concept of controlling another being mm-hmm. is probably 10 out of 10 scariest thing it's that you can terrifying. think of. The, there, the idea of your bodily autonomy being removed from you is so utterly terrifying. You know what? It's the idea of only your bodily autonomy. Being not your consciousness, just your, your bodily consci- autonomy. I think that's like a very important distinction, mm-hmm. you know, because like if, I don't know what's happening, then I don't know. But it's the idea that you are cognizant of everything that's happening, but you have zero control over it. And the concept or idea that it's, it's just so... being masterminded by another person. <laughs> it's being masterminded by another person who just wants to live forever is such a ridiculously dark thing to exist in a comedy that then happens. Mm-hmm. It happens. The character gets away with it. Mm-hmm. John Cusack is lost forever to these old people who want to live forever. And yeah. I don't know what the movie is trying to tell me when it does that. It's just like, yeah, they just live forever and John Cusack is lost forever. I understand I think, that it's a comedy, but Jesus Christ. I think the thing that is important to understand about this movie, that I really love about this movie, is every single person in this movie is a piece of shit. Every single person in this movie is the worst person. True. Down to Charlie Sheen, who has like one two-minute cameo in the film. To me, it's just so not about what the movie's trying to say and more so about who the people are and, like, the actual, like, what we were just talking about, the sort of, like, moral quandaries of puppeteering and, like, controlling someone else's life. It's not necessarily, like... It's interesting that you say that because I kind of almost felt like sometimes the movie was trying to say that because everyone in this movie is a piece of garbage and everyone is a piece of shit Mm -hmm. and everyone is just looking to get what they so desperately desire to cover their insecurities in Mm -hmm. their life, Mm -hmm. that the characters almost don't matter. That it's more about just the fact that 
look, everyone's a piece of shit. You know that if people had the chance to live forever and take over another person's body, they would do it. Mm -hmm. They would do it. And Mm -hmm. the puppeteering is just a convenient kind of metaphor to fit in. I spent, ever since watching the movie, I have spent all the time trying to think, what what is going on with the seven and a half floor? Is it just supposed to be funny? Because it is yeah. funny. It is it is, it is just it is just it is funny, hilarious. and it is kind. It kind of almost reminds me of something that an author would do, where they would take an idea that is so preposterous on its head, and they would just jam the metaphors into it because it works so well only in a book. But this is a movie. It felt like they took the ridiculousness and the kind of stretching of reality that you can do in a book, and they said, yeah, we're putting it in the movie. And we're going to make the entire floor be a half size and all the people be normal sized. I mean, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. I think not the movie. (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. the movie. I think that choice, right? Because... So only I would only say, this movie could get away with that. Exactly. Choice. Only this movie. Exactly. And I would say that it actually probably for the movie is just for laughs. I think that I think that it's a place where nothing makes sense. Literally down to what they say and what the receptionist hears. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think that's kind of a part of the point is like nothing in this realm makes sense except it is accessible to everyone. It's not like a secret, you know what I mean? It's like anyone can make it onto this floor and find that portal and go through. It's just a place where nothing makes sense. And I think it's just supposed to kind of be funny. But I think we could also infer if we were doing the whole (laughs) film bro, film school class thing. I mean, we're making a podcast, so we might as well. Which is what I do (laughs) that, you know, again, if we're talking about how the movie is sort of in the middle of everything... I mean, it's a floor in the middle of floors, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's again, it's just like, and I think the idea that like, if you're in the middle of everything, that that is where chaos happens. Like if you're in the middle of genders, if you're in the middle of a tr- love triangle, if you're in the middle of, you know, like if you're literally in the middle of your consciousness and someone else's consciousness, like chaos ensues, like in the middle of everything that is order, that is where chaos is not outside of it, you know, kind of thing. And so I think it's just another physical metaphor for that, that we could infer I think that Charlie Kaufman just wrote it to be funny. Yeah. But I think that you can map on a lot of sort of metaphors onto it. And that is probably the one that I would map onto it. I like that a lot. That, I mean, that's the only one that has clicked in my head past hearing it. Because, you know, Listen, you know, naturally you do the little click, click, click online to be like, what the <laughs> what fuck the was fuck going on? Yeah. But literally the internet was absolutely unhelpful. And one other thing I want to note about the movie that I actually really appreciated is how banal and sad it made human sexuality. Because I think that human sexuality is something that is kind of overwrought in a lot of movies in the way that we seek and the way that we attempt to fill our insecurities. Mm-hmm. And this movie takes all that down and essentially claims sex as a power grab and sex as the idea that you are just insecure and you want to claim some type of status in your life and therefore you just achieve wish to have sex with people and not really the act of making a meaningful connection with another person right which is a really clean observation and it holds through with every character every character yes. uses sex as a tool, tool. and, and not as every, any type of relationship yeah i mean this film minus a few slurs that have not aged that well <laughs> Then again, it also just astounds me that this movie was made before 2000. But 
besides those term those terms that did not age that well, um, I think the movie actually does make some really good points about gender fluidity and sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is just sort of like the ridiculousness of it all. Right? When, they, when they started talking about the trans stuff, I thought I was going to have to give a whole diatribe on this podcast about being about saying this is another example of how just absolutely shit you know trans idealization or trans conceptions in hollywood media existed but this movie kind of poo-poos even the conversation about it It even Mm -hmm. it just says gender is ridiculous we have made it up and we have conceived it exactly so why do we even have this conversation but then it's immediately flipped on its head because the character who's saying that is mainly doing that in a way to again push towards getting rid of her insecurities so spike jones directed the film charlie kaufman wrote the film um they have also worked together on other movies i can't think of them right now adaptation is one but what i wanted to say when i when i brought up their past is that this movie for both Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman is their first feature-length film. To me, it's not that weird that this movie got made, to be completely honest. Like, it was 1999. It's a very singular film. No film has been made like it before. No film has been made like it since. You know, mm-hmm. it's very, like... I could definitely see some movie studio, and I don't know which one put it out, but I could definitely see some movie studio being like, yeah, we have... And it's also very clearly a low-budget film. So I could also see, like, some movie studio being like, yeah, we have extra money lying around. Why not? But... Regardless, it was a it, weirdly enough. I agree that it was a really good pair for In Rainbows. Yeah, I don't know Be- how we worked that one out, but I, we did it. It is. It, it, I don't know really how to tie them together more than just the fact that I feel like one is a super serious take on the absurdity of our existence, and one is the complete ridiculous take yeah. on our existence, and yeah. just mashing them together. It was a pretty satisfying experience. Oh, good. I'm glad that the movie left you conflicted. That's honestly all I can ever hope for. It's probably better than you being like, no, that's great. I love a good, that opinion I'm not boring. sure. <laughs> that opinion is boring. Just yeah. be like, that was great. I mean, that it's like some music that you listen to it, and you know it's really good, but it's so plainly good that mm-hmm. you have a hard time digesting it or really wishing to listen to it more. Yeah. This movie was bizarre, bemusing, I felt bonkers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I know a lot more about not only your taste in movies, but also just kind of the spectrum of movies that I think I've been missing. With that, should we talk about next, next? week? Yeah. yeah. So for my choice for you next week, mm-hmm. I already told you the artist. You're gonna be listening to a Bjork album. Yep. And I chose Post. Okay. which is her it, it's kind of hard to say exactly which album is cuz she has like previous solo albums when she was like 13 mm-hmm. but i would consider post technically her sophomore album okay and i think despite it being so early in her career and her career being so long standing it will give you a perfect encapsulation of the fandom that exists around Bjork and why she's such a vital artist for it's like people's personalities you know like in their tinder bios it's like I'm a Bjork fan yeah men are like I catch fish and they thems are like I listen to (laughs) 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 (la
anyway, oh, and God. that's my sociopolitical commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to listen. I actually have been excited for someone to force feed Bjork to me, actually, um, because I always sort of knew it needed to be force fed to me. I knew I was never the type of person who would be like, you know what? I'm going to listen to you right now and figure out Bjork. Um, She's got an umlaut in her name. What the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, man. But um, the movie that I want you to watch for our next episode is... In and of itself. I know we talked about this in the sense that I've asked you to watch it. You have, and I've always let you down, which is why we literally created a podcast (laughs) so that I couldn't do it anymore. It is. So, you know, this episode I gave you sort of like a cult hit, you know, that's a bit older that has gained a reputation. This is definitely something that is brand new that has become like a current hit of the time that a lot of people are obsessed with and have been telling everyone else they know to watch. Um, you know, kind of like the Tiger King syndrome or whatever. Um, yeah. And I think it is one of the few things that I've experienced that has done that, that has burned so bright um, so quickly that is actually deserving of it. And I think that my advice to anyone, which is what I was told in watching it, is to not look up a single thing about it beforehand. Do not look up what it's about. Do not even look up what format it takes because that's also something to be considered. Like, do not look up anything about this viewing experience because I don't even think I could technically call it a film. But it is. I mean, I it will change. Everyone I know who has watched it has said two things. One, I told everyone I know to watch it. And two, man, do I wish I was there. And that is what I'm leaving you with. All right. I'm so excited. This is great. We're holding it to it. Off the list, baby. Yeah. See ya. I'm Lucy Bird from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the closer of everyone from Philadelphia. (laughs) I'm.